Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week is Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? We're not going well, um, although we do have a scheduling conflict here. I can't believe we've gone head-to-head with Farmer Wants a Wife uh, on debut <laughs> tonight. I'm not network. Can we do something about that next week? A bit disappointed, week? are you, mate? Well, when you when you start watching it and you see one of your high school sweethearts um, lining up for a farmer, you, you, oh, you no. get slightly more engaged, but... Um, you know, we do have more important things to talk about, clearly. So We certainly do, mate. We're getting down to the business end of the NBA. So Farmer, Farmer wants a wife, Cat. He just has to be put on the back burner for an hour or so. I'm, I'm sure you can IQ it and get back to that later. So uh, we'll, we'll jump straight into the Eastern Conference Finals, Caddy. And we saw Game 6 today, and it was Milwaukee that came away with a win to advance to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1974, uh, back in the days when they had uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar going around. So it was just a, such a topsy-turvy series, wasn't it, Caddy? We saw Atlanta win Game 1, um, and then Milwaukee responded with a Game 2 and Game 3 win, and then Game 4, Trey Young was out, and it looked like you know it was, it was going to be Milwaukee's series to be had. But then Giannis goes down with the injury, Atlanta win Game 4, um, you didn't know what was going to happen from there. Game five and uh, both Trey Young and Giannis out. That that obviously could have gone either way. Milwaukee come come away with a win there, and we saw Trey Young came back for game six today. And in that first half, it just wasn't great basketball, to be honest, was it? We, you know, both both sides were struggling to to shoot. Uh, Trey Young, I thought his movement looked okay in that first half. He was probably struggling to. Uh, stop really quickly, which is one of his strengths. But I thought his movement sort of just going forward and side to side looked okay. But his first half, he only had five points and three turnovers. And the two the two stars for Milwaukee really struggled in that first half. Chris Middleton had six turnovers in the first half alone. And Drew Holiday had uh, five turnovers also. And, and neither, neither one of those guys was shooting really well. But then it was Chris Middleton who stepped up to the plate. And we've seen him do this. A couple of times now during the playoffs, haven't we? Haven't we, Caddy? He has either big quarters or big halves, or you know, even a big game here or there. He's been a little bit up and down, but he was outstanding in the third quarter today. He had twenty-three points alone in the third quarter, eight from twelve from the field, four for seven from three. Everything was just uh, going down from here. He even had a, a like a little lefty uh, bank shot where he got fouled and got an and one. So it was just everything going right for them in that quarter. Milwaukee put up forty-four points in that third quarter and put a really big gap. I think it was about 16 or 17 points going into that last quarter. Now, to, to Atlanta's credit, and we've seen this from them right throughout the playoffs, they, they just didn't give up. They were able to trim the margin to within six points in the last quarter, but um, it was just, just wasn't quite enough to, to be able to put a lot of pressure on Milwaukee and they're able to cl- come away with a win and close out the game uh, 118 to 107 to advance to the finals, as I mentioned, for the first time since 1974. So we'll park Milwaukee to the side because we're obviously going to talk about them a little bit later when we when we break down the final series against Phoenix. But from Atlanta perspective, Caddy, how impressed have you been with them for, uh, from what they've been able to produce throughout this playoff run? Uh, going forward, do you see them as a legit threat in the East or do you think maybe they've just got a little bit lucky with some of the injuries that these teams have have, have had? Yeah, all credit to uh, the Atlanta Hawks. I think they've been absolutely ter- terrific all the way through this postseason. I think when we had the matchup with them and the New York Knicks, we probably looked at it either a line ball or you know slightly to the Knicks' advantage. And Who Atlanta did you tip in that series? Do you remember? Well, I, I remember tipping the Knicks. I thought, yeah, I think I might have as well. Of, the home court advantage might have been enough, but Atlanta have been you know the true you know epitome of grit and determination all the way through, and you know continue to surprise all of us. And you know a, a really young a young team, a young franchise on, on the way up. I don't think anyone even within their own four walls would have envisaged that they would have got to a game six of an Eastern Conference Finals uh, this year. Um, so I think they're well ahead of schedule. And that, you know, that then makes some for some interesting discussion points for them in the off-season. But, you know, I think they, they've just got to really stay the course in a sense. They've been a rebuilding team. They obviously made some significant moves through the uh, off-season to bring some experienced talent into that group. But, you know, when you're led by Trey Young, you know, Kevin Herter has showed, you know, so much promise at, at times throughout the series. He struggled, obviously, today. You've got guys like Cam Reddish, who, who had been injured for predominantly most of this postseason, who showed a lot in, the, in this series in particular. We didn't even get to see DeAndre Hunter. They're the core pieces that they're going to build around. And then they look at the restricted free agency of John Collins, which is going to be a significant talking point all the way through until he makes either a decision you know, I'm sure there'll be other franchises that will throw him an offer sheet, and then it's, you know, at least Atlanta Hawks have got the opportunity to match that contract. So, what number? Well- what number are you comfortable giving John Collins? Because you'd imagine, you know, he, I, I mentioned last week, you know, you, his numbers weren't, 
you know, huge throughout the playoffs, but I thought he'd become more of a winning player, getting some really important offensive boards, some tip-ins, doing those little things that, that contribute to winning. So does he get a max offer? Would you be would you be comfortable giving a max offer? What, what do you think uh, for John Collins? He's a good number. Uh, well, the rumours were during the year he turned out a $90 million contract extension seeking, you know, that max deal. So you'd have to think he's going to be looking for something fairly significant. But, you know, he might now have further confidence within, you know, what they're building from an Atlanta Hawks franchise point of view. And he may be prepared to take a little bit less just to stay the course uh, with this young group. But I think at the end of the day, there's going to be significant offers coming for him, not only based on the postseason play, but I think all in all this season, he'd, he'd showed enough to, you know, to really push himself towards, you know, not maybe not a max, but certainly a significant contract extension um, coming off his rookie deal. So I think um, Atlanta... You know they've got the ability to match, and I think they'll you know wait those full three days out once uh, contract offers come for them. And I think they've really got to probably take that take that challenge up and, and match that deal and bring him back again for whatever it's going to take. Because as I said, they've still got DeAndre Hunter on a rookie deal, Trey Young on a rookie deal, Cam Reddish on a rookie deal, and if he's the first bloke that's going to get extended out of that group, then you just cop that and worry about it later. So I think that's that would be the course I'd be recommending for the Atlanta Hawks uh, general management. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as you said, they're building this team together. They drafted for need at times. I obviously gave up a few picks to get Hunter and move up the draft and get Hunter um, and then got ready. So they've sort of been drafting for what they needed. And, yeah, it would be a real shame to see John Collins leave. And given that they've got the opportunity to match whatever offer comes his way, it would be really surprising if they if they let him walk out the door, to, you know, despite what the number may be. So I agree with you. It's such a promising roster going forward. Cam Reddish was, was outstanding today off the bench with 21 points. He was 6 from 7 from 3, and I thought his defense was, was really good as well when Middleton got cooking in that third quarter. Now, he didn't necessarily slow him down all that much, but he was the one that they turned to. Uh, in lieu of Kevin Herter, who did struggle in this series, I thought he, he certainly had some bright spots, as you mentioned, throughout the playoffs, particularly Game 7, when they were able to close out uh, Philly. He was he was their best offensive player, but he, but his series against Milwaukee le- left a little bit to be desired, but, but he's only, what, this is his second year, I think, in the NBA, so he's certainly going to grow from this. So I totally agree with you that they've got a really young list going forward. Trey Young is only getting better. His stock certainly rose throughout the playoffs. You, you could see that he wasn't afraid of of any of the moments, and he, you know, he's almost single handedly carried them across the line in a number of these wins that they did have. So, going forward, just, just projecting to to the East uh, next season, you know, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, potentially Philly, you might have a, above Atlanta. Are you, are you seeing them? Do you see them around that four seed, or maybe even be being in front of Philly next season? Well, I think you've got to give them, you know, the the respect that they've been able to earn through this postseason, which which we probably gave to, you know, to be fair to Miami on the back of last season's finals run. So there's no guarantees in this. And, you know, I think it, we've shown in the last two seasons, that, to be honest, have been COVID-affected, that the things, you know, the league has opened right up and, you know, there are opportunities for teams to sort of sneak sneak ahead of potentially where they may be. But I think uh, Atlanta in particular are in a position where they have built the right way through the draft and, you know, have added some contracts through last year's free agency where they needed to actually, you know, just stuff the stuff the salary sheet because they were nowhere near maxing that out. So they're in a really strong position, I think, to continue to build and I would imagine that they'll continue to improve based on the based on their young players and the continued improvement you'd like to think that they've got to offer. Well yeah, well Trey Young, you'd imagine would would only get better. John Collins, you know, if they keep him around, should get better. Reddish, as you said, you know, he was injured a, a fair portion of this of this season, so he's only going to get better. DeAndre Hunter is only going to get a better. I thought Anyeka Okongwu, you know, played the backup centre, but it, he, he certainly showed a lot of potential. There's no reason that going forward that he can't be a starting calibre centre. So, yeah, I totally agree with you that, that this, you know, going forward, this is a roster that, that certainly shows a lot of promise. Is, is there an area for you just looking at them that you think they might need to address? Um, I'm not sure of Lou Williams' contract situation. He might be a free, an upcoming free yeah, agent. Un- unrestricted free agent going into next season. His $8 million comes off the books. Okay. So so is it maybe a scorer off the bench, whether it be Lou Williams or somebody else that, you know, can, can when Trey Young sits down, can can put the ball in the basket, whether that's Bogdanovich or, or do you think maybe they need to add another scorer off the bench? Is that an area you think they need to improve? Yeah, I think so. And I think they've got the opportunity. You've got Tony Snell's contract, $12 million coming off the books as well. So between him and Lou Williams, you've got a $20 million 
uh, cap relief coming straight off there. So Solomon Hill. What, what's one Chris done on the books for? You got that in front of you? Uh, could yeah, be a good trade chip, a, maybe if you yeah, throw play, in a draft pick or something. Player option at five million, which you'd probably think at this point he might opt into, considering he's yep. undecided through this series. So he'll take his five million. But just between Tony Snell and Louis Williams, you got twenty million dollars there plus Solomon Hill. That's twenty two. You can get a really, you know. Really good scorer to come in. You know, there's a guy like Demar Derozan even you know perk the interests of a team like Atlanta. A guy yeah. coming in, you know, automatic offense. Um, you know, there might be have to be an asset or two attached to that. But that's the sort of guy I think they're in a position now to, you know, confidently go and go and look at because you know they've put some runs on the board uh, as it is at the moment and cap space and flexibility with some good young assets. I think they're going to be, they, if they want to be, they can be a really aggressive player in this offseason. Do you think they should go all in and go for some a bit older, like you mentioned there, a DeMar, a DeMar DeRozan, or should they just let it, let it uh, naturally progress? Or, you know, Phoenix did that this year, I guess, didn't they? They brought in Chris Paul, obviously 36 years old, or they just could have just sort of let it roll with Booker and, and, and uh, DeAndre Ayton and just let it naturally progress. But they thought, no, we're going we're gonna to sort of um, fasten this up. Do you think that's what Atlanta should do, or, or should they be a bit more conservative? No, I think they should you know, continue to push their chips forward. They, they did a fair bit of that out of necessity because of the amount of cap space they had, and they did sign guys like Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Rondo was another one who ended up getting traded throughout the season. So they did show that they were prepared to take on money um, to get to, closer towards the, the top end of the cap. And now they're going to, as I said, they've got Snell and Williams coming off the books this year. I, I think they'll be aggressive again with that veteran type of player, which they, you know, to be fair, they went and got out in last season's off-season. So, you know, I think they'll continue to search for, you know, to put some complementary pieces around it. While they've got Trey Young on a rookie contract, Cam Reddys, and John Collins obviously would need to be extended, Kevin Herter on a, on a rookie contract as well. So there's opportunity in plenty these Atlanta Hawks, and I think all of a sudden there's something to build around for these potential free agents looking at looking at Atlanta, Georgia as a possible destination. Yeah, and I believe Atlanta might have some pretty good nightlife from some of the stories you hear, Caddy. So it might be a bit of a free agent destination. And there's also the not an elephant in the room, but you know, Nate McMillan hasn't actually even been signed up for next year. He's come in as the interim coach. You'd imagine there'd be no issues with him getting getting a contract. So they lock him up. As you said there, when they've got so many guys on their rookie uh, deals, it's, it's really that windows can be small, you know, to, to bring in some guys on some big money. So I think they've got a really interesting offseason and they could be one. If they can get the right piece or pieces in, they could, you know, jump right up and maybe start to challenge a you know, Brooklyn might be a little bit difficult if, if they're fully healthy, but, you know, a, a fully healthy Milwaukee, there'd be no reason if they bring in the right pieces that they couldn't next season push right up and, and be one of these top seeds in the East from, from what I've seen anyway. So we'll jump over now into the West, and we saw Phoenix close out game six, 130 to 103, and it was a – and really good to see a Chris Paul masterpiece in the end, wasn't it? 41 points, eight assists. Seven from eight from three, zero turnovers. J- just a typical Chris Paul game where he controlled everything. Um, he he just never let the Clippers get close, and it, w- it was just a just a really good to see. As I said, Chris Paul be able to come up big because he he he'd struggled a little bit as we'd mentioned last week since he'd come back from that COVID break. So it sort of put to bed um, any sort of doubt you had about him being able to recapture that form we'd seen early on in the playoffs. But from a Clippers perspective, Caddy, I thought they were really impressive. They obviously had the injury to to Kawhi Leonard during the playoffs. He didn't he didn't play at all in this series. So for for them to be no, able just, to just on just sorry just on that yeah. with Kawhi Leonard, have you got obviously you, you talk to a number of people within the NBA? Have you got any insight as to the um, the level of injury we're talking about for Kawhi Leonard? Are we are we talking an ACL tear or? What are your sources telling you at the moment, well, Neil? The, my, my sources, Caddy, are telling me that uh, Kawhi Leonard has been very coy. Apparently, he's got his own he's got his own medical staff, and the Clippers medical staff actually haven't uh, evaluated him. So they, I don't think they actually know. That's why that's why there hasn't been any sort of announcement, I believe, from from what my sources, as you call them, Caddy, are telling me. Um, that uh, yeah, it's 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 a similar scenario to what we saw with Kawhi in San Antonio, where the the Spurs were basically saying we're clearing Kawhi to play, he's ready to go, but he was saying no, I'm not, because his doctors were telling him that he wasn't right to go. So it looks like it's sort of history repeating itself with that. In that, yeah, which is it is it's extraordinary that the Clippers are paying this guy thirty plus million dollars, and 
their their medical staff aren't even getting a good look at him to diagnose him. It's 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 a bizarre world. The NBA, you know, we've spoken about this before. How the how the star players basically have free reign and they can sort of do whatever they want. But it, it seems to go to the extreme case with Kawhi Leonard, and it's obviously the fact that he's you know can knocked out of his contract, which you'd expect he'd do in the off season. So the Clippers don't want to upset him, so they're trying to do as much as possible to accommodate him. So. Yeah, as I mentioned, I, I thought the Clippers were outstanding to be able to scrap two game six without the without Kawhi Leonard. But good, good to see him, Caddy, finally make his way down to the players' bench for game six. That was big of him <laughs> instead of sitting sitting up in the stand with his family. But uh, from from a Clippers uh, future perspective, Caddy, obviously as I mentioned, Kawhi Leonard, everybody's expecting he's going to opt out of this contract. Um, I'd be staggered if he leaves. He'd, he'd sort of. I think the, the rumours are out there that he just purchased a 14-odd million dollar house in the LA area. So you'd imagine that you're not going to shell out that sort of money and then move away from that so soon. Um, they've also got Reggie Jackson, who, who, who's, uh, who's a free agent, Nicholas Batum, uh, Serge Barker, probably going to pick up that $9.7 million player option. But there, there's certainly a few moving parts uh, going into the off-season. W- where do you think their off-season's going to head? Do you think they're going to, obviously, Kawhi Leonard's going to be the number one priority. They're probably going to struggle to re-sign Reggie Jackson given his level of play during the playoffs that so you'd imagine he's going to be able to command a decent size salary uh where do you see their off-season heading well it's all going to be dictated by Kawhi Leonard and how long is he going to how long is he going to make the Clippers wait for a commitment because we've seen it before and you know we've seen the whole league basically be held hostage hostage to Kawhi Leonard so um you know he as you said I think he'll opt out of his his current deal which not which is not to say he won't re-sign with the LA Clippers, but he'll be looking for some, you know, longer term security, and that's these, you know, the danger of these sort of shorter two year plus option contracts. So, you know, they're going to be at the absolute behest of of Kawhi and his team of whoever it is that's been running the shots over these years, and and I think history has told us that there's nothing can be taken for certain with the people around him that are running these decisions. So, the Clippers have got a nervous wait. You mentioned Reggie Jackson; he's on a Two point three million expiring contract this year. He's gonna, you know, look to really get paid. You know, he'd been a bit parts, a bit part player for a couple of years, but he he had cashed in a little bit at Detroit over you know the previous few seasons. But I think he'd be looking for some longer term money and security based on what he was able to produce. And as, as I mentioned to you last week, all credit to Reggie Jackson because he he was basically washed up and and basically thrown in the bin. And and probably rightfully so for the some you know for the the amount of benefit Detroit were getting out of him. So for him to be able to come in here and basically become a knockdown three point shooter, ball handler, playmaker, and he's hopefully for him his sake set up you know the next three to four years of his career. So and he was so emotional. Think, did did you see his his uh, post game media conference? He he was in tears. Like he was he was he said he basically thanked uh, the the whole locker room for for getting his career back on track and. Yeah, he was really reflective, and it was you know it was good to see some of these. You don't really see that a lot. Some, some somebody be so emotional, and I don't know whether he was being that emotional because he he's probably aware that it's unlikely he's going to be able to come back because they're not going to be able to afford him. But yeah, they, they should do everything they can to keep him. Obviously, I mean they might even have to look at moving on. You know, Luke Kennard. They're probably going to not probably they're going to have to attach some sort of you know draft capital to get to get his money off the books. He's 14-odd million, close to 15 million that he's going to make next year. So th- there's some ways they can get around him, but I, I think they need to do whatever they can to bring Reggie Jackson back. Well, you'd like to think so. You know, I think he, he certainly, as you said, he was emotionally charged at the end of the game. And maybe that was just individually as well. He was, you know, finally I've been able to prove something on the big stage. I, you know, he had, you know, been shit-canned a fair bit for his lack of play on a decent contract when he shifted from OKC over to Detroit. And he was able to, you know, come in here and be a, a, a legitimate contributor on a Western Conference Finals, basically, team. So, you know, all credit to him. As you said, the Luke Kennard contract extension is going to be a problem for them. Um, that only kicks next year. And, you know, thankfully, I think at least at both uh, the LA Clippers end and, and their fans end, Marcus Morris's contract looks a little bit more uh, palatable now considering the play he did produced through these playoffs because it's, 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 uh, it's still not a great one though is it it's still not ideal over the next three years but at least in this particular year he did definitely live up to that that pay number of the 14.8 million dollars he was earning this year i think he was thought he was incredible you know once Kawhi had gone down he really stepped up to the plate and yep. was aggressive and, and took his shot and um you know to be honest they wouldn't have got anywhere near 
progressing as far as they did without his play. And, you well, know, so it we, seemed we, to be whenever he played well, they, they pretty much won, didn't they? I, I was really surprised just with his aggressiveness. You know, I, I love the way he, you know, was able to catch and shoot and really take it up to him when he got his opportunity. He, he was happy to, you know, unleash from whether it was outside, post up. He, he was prepared to do it all. And that was great to see. And, you know, Paul George, and you know, we've spoken about him ad nauseum this season. But I think, again, for me, not being a, a, a Paul George believer, I, you know, I, I can't fault his effort and work rate. As and, a convention uh, caddy, or is he still the Ross Geller of the NBA? Well, when you missed two free throws to basically uh, ice a series uh, when I was he did it, I think it was game four, that he missed those. I think there's still Fair some enough. question marks that he's got to – he's still going to have to have a few sleep at night, Paul George. But, you know, all, all jokes aside, I, I think he was absolutely – there were no chance – getting anywhere near where they did once Kawhi went down without his extraordinary play through this series. And I thought he really, you know, showed on the big stage that what he was capable of. Look, he's locked into a really, really large number for the next four years. And, you know, he probably earned that contract through this um, postseason. And I think he's probably pretty pretty glad he, he, he you know, he, he signed up when he did. Kawhi, on the other hand, has got that, um, you know, we said the, the player option, which I'm sure will opt out of. And then, you know, keep the league at mercy for the next two to three months. He probably will. So let, let's say in theory, Kawhi comes back. Um, they somehow manage to get Reggie Jackson back, whether, as I said, that they can uh, they can get rid of Canard to, to free up some cap space to bring him back. Or, you know, Nicholas Batum, as I said, is, is a free agent. So let's say they can bring back a majority of this roster and keep them together. Right. We're, You're talking about the t- the, the one point seven million dollar team option on Terence Mann. You reckon they're going to bring that back? Yeah, you, they're probably going to bring Terence back at that, <laughs> that number. You'd reckon? Yeah, that's that's not a bad contract for him. So let's say they can bring these guys, most of these guys back anyway. Uh, where do you see them sort of sliding in next next season? Do, do you have them as the favourite in the West? I mean, that, as, as I said, they're very impressive. That they've taken Phoenix to Game Six without their best player and without a top five player in the NBA. So get him back healthy. Do they jump up to that? Sort of favourite in the West because they've shown a little bit of fortitude during these playoffs, or, or are they? Where do you see them fitting in? Oh no, I think if they bring look, if they were to bring Kawhi Leonard back with this group, PG, you know they're going to be a top four seed, you'd think. But you know, outside of that, it's a, it's a bit of a, <laughs> a crap sheet, really. Like, are we are we assuming LeBron AD are hundred percent healthy? Do they add anything to that group? Utah, Phoenix, obviously going to be thereabouts. Denver, Dallas. So there, there's all these clubs that are thereabouts, the Golden State Warriors, the great unknown. So I don't think you'd go in with any absolute confidence that they're going to be a Western Conference um, finalist favourite. But I think, you know, if they, they bring that roster back as, as it is with Kawhi as a, healthy, as a healthy part of that, then they've got to be looked at as a, a probable top four seed. But there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before we get to that point. Oh, there certainly is. And they'll be kicking themselves, not because... So I'll sort of be kicking themselves, obviously, because of the injury to Kawhi, because this is clearly a season that that sort of opened up, given given the amount of the amount of injuries that we have that we have had. Um, because yeah, if, if that if they'd have been able to keep everybody healthy on the court, I mean, last year was the one where everybody sort of thought that they were that they were the uh, the team to beat, and then we we saw obviously what happened in the bubble and. Yeah, so every year that goes by that they don't get that championship, obviously, is a wasted year. But j- just on just on the injuries, we've seen now, we've seen 10 All-Stars miss games throughout the playoffs. So we, we had Giannis obviously miss the last two, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, Joel Embiid, Mike Conley, Jalen Brown, and Chris Paul have all missed games, at least one. Most of those guys have actually missed multiple games. Um, that doesn't that's without, uh, that's Trey Young, Young exactly, exactly. Who, yeah. who who's obviously an all star caliber player. Then you've got sort of guys like you know, you know Danny Green, Dante Divincenzo, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Johnson missed the game, Serge Barker hardly. I don't even know if he even played a game in the playoffs. You know, th- there's just been so many injuries to to so many quality players. We you know we saw Game Five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Both stars from each team weren't even out on the floor. It was like a you know, if you if you looked at Milwaukee, that team that they rolled out there, they they might be a, a mid forties win team, and that Atlanta team without Trey Young's probably a forty win team at best. And we're and we're watching that in the Eastern Conference Finals. So you know, there's been so much spoken about all the injuries that have taken place throughout these playoffs. But for you, Caddy, is has it sort of diminished these playoffs in any way? Is it as the interest level for you sort of uh, gone down, or do you just think that's part and parcel of an NBA season? And there's no such thing as what they say an asterisk uh, title. 
Look, I think it's all and above everything you said there, Winnow, because you, you can't look at these playoffs and the season in its totality without recognising, you know, the, the wear and tear that's taken on the players and, and, as a result, the injuries that we've seen throughout it. And I think LeBron James was the one that was um, almost gloatingly tweeting that he, he thought this was going to happen and this is what <laughs> was going to happen when, you know, they had a shortened off season and they were all sort of rushed back. But, you know, look, it, it probably did take away, you know, particularly those games, what was it, four and five, even today, looking at this Milwaukee-Atlanta series without Giannis or, and or Trey Young, you know, you're looking at a couple of, you know, pretty average, you know, basketball teams, to be honest, and even Trey today, as admirable as he was to get back out on the floor. You could just tell, particularly when he had to sort of drive into the lane and really commit his body, that he just was unsure of where, not so much yeah, what he was doing. He had a bit of trepidation about it, didn't he? It wasn't so much what he was doing up and above the ring or at, at the ring. It was about where he was going to land. And that was, um, I think, the biggest issue for him, you know, when he was trying to drive in. And, and to Atlanta's probably discredit, they they probably overgave, you know, they when Kevin Herter a couple of games ago was more trigger happy, happy to shoot, he was still deferring back to Trey Young today where he Trey was really looking for those guys to kind of bail him out at times and, and they were way too keen to give the ball back to to Trey Young. So, yeah, look, it was, it was probably a tough watch the rest of this season conference uh, series and you could, you could probably be forgiven to say as you were watching it that whichever team came out of the West, whether it was Phoenix or the LA Clippers and in the end Phoenix, that they, based on talent and con- continuity, particularly from the Phoenix point of view, there was just too much talent, I think, to compete with either of these two teams coming out of the West, whether Trey Young or Giannis was there at all. So I'll be looking at Phoenix as an absolute hot favourite going into the finals, and I'm sure we'll, we'll chat about that in the, at, at some point. But, you know, the end of this Eastern Conference series in particular was a, a pretty tough watch. What I would like to say was just, I looked at a guy like Brook Lopez, who um, had his absolute career moment the other day, I think it was in the game four when he had the 33 Game five, yep. Game five. Absolutely terrific to see because I think it's we get uh, we forget pretty quickly how important a player Brook Lopez was early in his career. It, it, when it, was he was, a, it was a 20-pointer gamer for seven, eight years or whatever it was, yeah, an all-star at Brooklyn. Absolutely, all-star at Brooklyn and, um, you know, a real focal point of that whole organisation from New Jersey as it turned into Brooklyn. He, he spent a, a lot of time. In, in that environment and, and, and did an incredible job over there. And then his sort of um, career took a bit of a hit when he went to the LA Lakers and became a bit of a bit of a laughingstock player almost as a as a three-point shooter only uh, for the Lakers, which almost sort of sparked then the renewed interest when he did go to uh, Milwaukee because they actually had a role for him to just to shoot, shoot in the three-pointers because of, you know, the Giannis factor. But I think we're quick to forget how important he was as a, an inside-out player for the Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets, through that period of time. He was, as you said, a 20-point, almost 10-point, re, uh, 10-rebound a game. And, you know, he, he he's had a significant NBA career um, that I think gets slowly diminished as, we, you know, our memory goes back. But he, he, was, he was a real player um, back then, an all-star, as you mentioned, back in 2012, 2013. And, um, you know, I, I look at him and I'm glad he had his big moment on the big stage and now he's going to be be there in the finals and from all reports him and his brother Robin terrific characters off the court great locker room guys and um, yeah I think for him to be able to reinvent himself in this Milwaukee Bucks environment as you know pretty much a spot up three point shooter there for a couple of years he's been able to now show you know his prowess back on the inside when Giannis hasn't been playing in these last couple of games I think that's absolutely awesome uh, particularly for Brook Lopez Oh no doubt as you said there yeah he, he's basically playing the role that Milwaukee need him to, which isn't his best role. We, we've seen him play his best role, as you said there, in Game 5. He's he, he's really lethal down, down in the paint, but obviously that's where Giannis needs to operate, so they can't have them both down there. So he, he's been willing to sacrifice, and yeah, I, I totally agree. He, he must have thrown down four or five alley-oops in, in that Game 5. He was getting some of those Giannis pick-and-roll sets that they run, and it, yeah, I, I totally agree. It was, it was really good to see Brook Lopez have his moment in the sun in Game 5. Um, I've so, just got just got one stat here from one of our analytics guys, um, and I'll give a shout out to Jamie Merchant from the Impact Realty Group here uh, for provide, providing this us uh, with this stat. He was basically saying that you know the Bucks um, generally, well, that today they were ninety ninety point five percent from the free throw line, typically sit around the sixty to seventy percent with when Giannis is playing in the game. So again, another sign, even though you know Giannis wasn't out there, they were able to capitalize on being able to 
get to the free throw line, knock those free throws down. And Brook Lopez, a, you know, a big part of that. And let's hope that, you know, when Giannis comes back, you know, that free throw percentage doesn't swing back towards the negative. And also those three-point shots that he was taking, um, they can basically, um, you know, try and swing that ball around and, and, and basically say to Giannis, we don't want you taking those shots. So shout out to um, James Merchant, the director of uh, Impact Realty, for some of those in, some of those stats to input onto this tonight's podcast. Well done, James. We always invite uh, some some of the listeners to to give us some stats, Caddy. That's a, that's a very good one, and and it's spot on because we, we we've seen in, you know in many games that uh, Giannis has been sent to the free throw line to try and slow, obviously him down, but Milwaukee down as well. And it was good to see Giannis did park the three point shot um, before he got injured. I thought he'd sort of put that to the side a little bit, so that was good. And it'd be interesting to see whether that sort of progresses into the final. So let, let's so jump. just sorry, just quickly on that one. Um, yep. We, I know you've been a big fan of the Bill Simmons podcast for for many years, and he's spoken about the Ewing Fury, at, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a lot. And he, he talks a lot about you know when Patrick Ewing missed that uh, final series when the Knicks went all the way and lost to the Spurs. Is there any Ewing Fury here with Giannis not playing for the Bucks, and maybe they're better off without him potentially? <sighs> yeah, that that <laughs> that might be a bit of a stretch that they're better off without the two time MVP. But th- there's no doubt they play different when he's not there. I mean, you know, the, the, everything revolves around Giannis when he's on the floor and he's obviously a terrific player. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to not gonna quite go that far, but they certainly play a different band of basketball. And, you know, Bobby Portis has come into the starting lineup and, you know, he's a very offensive-centric player and he gives them a lot of energy. He's got the crazy eyes going and, you know, it gives them a bit of an edge. But, yeah, I I, I do like Bill, uh, Bill Simmons' Ewing theory, but uh, I'm not going to quite subscribe to the fact that Milwaukee might be uh, better off without Giannis. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds in the finals, and we'll jump into some finals talk now. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen to Giannis. The talk was that he was probably more than likely going to, going to give it a go in Game 7 if if the Eastern Conference Finals had uh, progressed to that. So we'll see what happens um, with the finals. Game 1 is on Wednesday, so there's still a few days uh, until Game 1. So whether they sit him out for Game 1 and give him those extra couple of days and get him ready for Game 2, obviously only time will tell. But we'll just start to break down a couple of these matchups because the matchups are obviously going to be very, very uh, important to, to see who's going to come out on top. So we'll start with the point guard matchup, Caddy. So Drew Holiday versus Chris Paul. Drew Holiday, they, they obviously brought him in in the offseason because they, they'd seen over a number of seasons Eric Bledsoe wasn't going to be the one who was going to be good enough to 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 get them the wins and carry them to uh, in the playoffs. And we saw Drew Holiday struggled a little bit, obviously, early on in the playoffs. And we'd spoken about him a couple of times over the last uh, over the last few weeks about how he had struggled. But he had a pretty good series against Atlanta when, when you look at his numbers at 22 points a game and, and, and 10 assists. You can't ask for much more than that. His shooting splits were pretty good. His free throw shooting, surprisingly, had dropped right down to almost 60%. So you'd like him to pick that um, back up, obviously. And his defense today was was outstanding. He just he just wrenched a number of steals away from, from Atlanta players at times, almost like Kawhi Leonard in his prime. So he's got a massive task, obviously, of guarding Chris Paul, who... Everything you know centers around Chris Paul from from a Phoenix offensive perspective, and as I said, we, we saw that masterpiece that he was able to put together in Game Six, and he's just going to be chomping at the bit, isn't he, to get out there in Game One and throughout and throughout these uh, final series, and 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 just lead Phoenix uh, to a championship. Obviously, is the goal of Chris Paul, so it's crucial, isn't it? I reckon this is almost the biggest matchup of the playoff series. If if Drew Holiday can clamp down defensively on Chris Paul and cut the head of the snake off, so to speak, and and limit Chris Paul, make him ineffective and and sort of disrupt him as much as possible. It's going to go a very long way to Milwaukee uh, to getting this series win, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we spoke about Drew Holiday, you know, a week or so back, and, you know, we're concerned about, you know, his input at that stage and whether he, you know, how much of an upgrade he had been (laughs) versus Eric Bledsoe at that point. But I think even, you know, look at today's game and the offensive numbers, were okay without jumping off the pace, but it, w- it was what he was doing defensively, and he was essentially manning, manning up against any of those five guys at Atlanta at any given stage, maybe two or three at the same time. He was an absolute yeah. animal. He was taking John defense. Collins in the post. He, look, he's, he's a terrific defender. Yeah, and he got his hands in there, really active, and and, and just a shout out here to Marv Albert, who, who did mention some of that during today's call, who I think for the last time was calling Yep, last, an NBA last game. time we'll ever hear the great Marv Albert screaming, yes! Yeah, so I think um, you know he, he nailed that on the head at that point because Drew Holiday was the guy that was just incredibly active. He's going to have to really be on his game in this series. Obviously, from you know, let, let's talk about offense for the 
for the moment. Like at this stage, when Giannis wasn't playing, he had to step up and be the second second option, whether it was behind Brook Lopez or Chris Middleton. He had to really be consistent at that at that end of the floor. And we're going to need to see more more of that on the way through to the finals. But the defensive end is where he's going to have to do his best work. That's what he's brought into this team to do. Uh, it's what he's you know done for, predominantly for the best part of most of the year. And he's going to have his hands full with Chris Paul, as you mentioned, at times Devin Booker um, and whatever other guard rotation that these Phoenix Suns are going to throw at him. So he's the key to the series, absolutely no doubt. And if he can curtail at least a little bit what Chris Paul is trying to do, we know that he's going to you know try and um, dictate the offense and you know play it like a fiddle and 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 get these guys open and dribble into the mid range, do a little fighter. If, if Drew Holiday can just you know continue to make things difficult for Chris Paul, he's not going to have a, have a fun time of it, and that's going to be the real, as you mentioned, the the real highlight of this this uh, these final series, I think, for mine. Yeah, it, it certainly will be, and obviously, you know, coming off the bench, Cameron Payne's been a, a fantastic backup uh, point guard for them as well. So he, he just gives them a bit of a different. Different feel. He's obviously a. He just plays almost turbo the whole. It's like it's like when you play NBA Live and you got the turbo button on the whole time and you're just running around uh, as quick as you can. That, that's sort of how Cam Payne operates. And obviously Chris Paul is a lot more methodical. So yeah, j- just such a crucial match matchup. Chris Paul, as I said, he's just going to be he's going to be so focused and he's been. He, you know, we, we've heard him talk about just how how long he's waited for this moment. So you'd imagine he's just. There's a bit of a uh, something come out today in the press that he's had some sort of hand injury as well during the during the Western Conference final. So hopefully he's got that got that right. He's recovered from this COVID and we get 100% healthy Chris Paul. And that's just going to be an absolutely terrific matchup between uh, Drew Holiday and Chris Paul. Uh, we'll jump over into the other guard matchup now. Chris Middleton versus Devin Booker. Now Devin Booker at times has played some really good basketball uh, during these playoffs. If you look at his numbers in the Western Conference finals, 25 points. Uh, a game, 4.7 assists. He was only 38% from the field, though. So, obviously, broke his nose early in that in that series. And it looked like it affected his, affected his shot a little bit. He played with a mask in for one game and then sort of ripped it off and then didn't play for it, I think, in the last couple of games and then copped another knock to his nose. So, he's he's not having a lot of luck at, a lot of luck at the moment in that respect. But this is, again, j- just another huge matchup, isn't it? I reckon whoever can get the, the better of this matchup here... It, it just could go a really long way to to, to swinging the, the title in that team's favour. Well, Chris Middleton's been the guy with the absence of Giannis who has been able to step up, and we've seen it not consistently. And again, we were looking for that consistency not only over four quarters, but even quarter to quarter. I mean, today in the third quarter, I think he went for 23 points or something ridiculous like that and then kind of went missing either side of that. So we need to see a Chris Middleton that's prepared to be equally aggressive all the way through the game and get his shot going because. You know, he's clearly the number two uh, option behind Giannis. We, I think, Giannis has got his boots on and and he's and he's single. He's gonna he's gonna give you thirty points, probably fifteen rebounds. There's no doubt about that. So it's what Middleton's gonna give you on a night to night basis, and that can, unfortunately for him, can swing anywhere between fifteen points at four of twenty shooting to thirty eight points at you know fifteen of twenty shooting. So he needs to get hit that you know that consistency level a little bit closer and tighter together to give the Milwaukee players a bit more confidence and then less reliance on those secondary players to, you know, potentially have to step up. So Devin Booker, I mean, you know, we've talked about all through the year how impressed we've been with his play and, you know, finally, you know, he's had a running mate be able to support him. He's put to bed all of those good stats, bad team, you know, type of analogies. And, you know, I think Trey Young was another guy that's been able to put that to bed as well. So, you know, the next guy you're looking at down the track is Zach Levine in that same type of level. Can he shake that tag? So Devin Booker's been able to do that this season and, you know, play a really leading role. He'll have to play out of his skin. There's no doubt about that through this playoffs. I think he's going to have to play at a really, really significantly high level to uh, for Phoenix to be successful in the final series. So let's look at it. I, I would have loved to have, you know, we, we spoke about seeing play Team USA to get some some really significant chops last off season for something, you know what he's about to come up up against. But he's going to have to come out day one, game one, and and really step up. There's no tomorrow. They will have home court advantage, which I think is going to be reasonably significant, no doubt about that. And you know I, I really hope for his sake he can make sure that the nose injury isn't as significant as you know as what we think it might have been, and he can come out and play really really well. 
Yeah, well, he looks like one of those players that's not going to shriek from the moment, does he? Just never looks sort of ruffled uh, very often anyway. And Stephen A. Smith come out after game one and said that he's, he's the next Kobe Bryant, which maybe he's got a little bit carried away, as he can at times, Stephen A. Smith. He likes to, to go to just, to, just to go off the tree a little bit. But uh, he's it's just going to be really crucial. You mentioned there uh, Chris Middleton can be a little bit, bit up and down, and Devin Booker has done that in a couple of games. Which one out of those two have you got more faith in sort of coming to the party in this series? Oh, look, I think Middleton's been there and done that a little bit more than, than Booker has in significant moments. But that said, I, I even look at you know the last two series from Milwaukee. Middleton's been a game-to-game, basically, you know, how, hot's he, how hot is he going to get? Whereas Booker, at least, I think, has been more consistent Albeit, you know, he has had the, the the nose injury and some some issues around the face mask, but I'd probably be more confident that Booker's going to at least give me twenty five points a game, um, and then I'm probably relying on a guy like Chris Paul to to turn up every night in night out, rather than um, Devin Booker. I think he'll be there, and it's whether Chris Paul can offensively support him at that twenty plus point a game mark. We talk, we've spoken about Bridges, we've spoken about DeAndre Ayton and those support players, but you know, if, if Booker gives you twenty five points a night. That's going to be, I think, more consistent what uh, Middleton may give you at the other end. Albeit, you know, the Middleton might give you a forty-point night, and then he might give you a four, four of twenty the night after. That's that's the um, inconsistency he needs to, you know, try and sharpen up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I've got more confidence in Booker for a game-to-game proposition. As you said, you might get a bigger game from Middleton, but who knows what he's going to produce in in that next game? So it's going to be crucial from a Milwaukee perspective that you don't get these. Valleys and troughs from from Chris Middleton. If there's going to be any chance of of winning this series, now now the Ford matchup. Obviously, it's a little bit up in the air. We've got no idea how healthy Giannis is going to be for one, and and if he's going to be available in Game One, how that's going to shake out. But let's let let's say Giannis plays from Game One and he's somewhere near his top. Um, it's going to be Jay Crowder, who we've seen guard him last year in, uh, when he was on the Miami Heat and did a really good job, um, albeit with a lot of help around him. Uh, and Mikael Bridges is probably going to get uh, some minutes on him as well. So h- how do you see that match- matchup shaking out? Is it a fact that maybe Giannis is going to be a little bit underdone and, and you're going to back Crowder and Bridges to be able to make Giannis work a- enough? Or do you just think this is going to be a landslide for Milwaukee and this could be sort of the matchup that, that swings the series their way? Well, if Giannis is – if he's fit and healthy, which we're not sure if he is either of those two things, I think he's a walk-up basically 35 and 20 just about every night in this series. I think he's going to be basically unstoppable. You can talk about those two guys, uh, Bridges there and Crowder. They can't defend Giannis. There's no no, no hope in hell that they're going to rely on DeAndre Ayton probably in the post to, to do most of that work. And, you know, let's just hope Giannis has parked that three-point game. He just takes everything he's got closer to the hoop, um, and, you know, and just does his business there because I think that's clearly where his advantage is. Advantages. He's shot 18% from three in these playoffs. So let's just hope he doesn't shoot another one and does his best work close to the hoop. And I think if he does, he'll be unstoppable. There's no doubt about that. Is he fit? God only knows. You know, who, who knows? Let's, Mate, let's he, his knee didn't look good at all, did it? The way it twisted it, on that. It looked terrible. It looked terrible. And the only positive that it, you know, he was able to limp off the court. But when he went down and then the continued highlights of that hyperextension, you know, I, I, I'm going to find it hard to see him come back. Early in this series, and then you know, God only knows how transparent you know they're going to be. Clearly, the LA Clippers weren't transparent at all in terms of the claw injury. Let you know who knows how they're going to go with this Giannis one. But look, if he if he's not going to play, I don't think this is a series at all. I think it's going to be all over. He's going to play, isn't he? I mean, whether it's game one, game two, game three, he's going to get out there at some stage and give it a go. Unless he's well, he hasn't he hasn't done the ACL, so he's going to get out there and give it a go. You'd imagine. Well, hopefully so. And you know, you look at Trey Young today. Like you just wonder, you know, in the end, is it better off him not playing a significant role and, and having the ball to go through him? Because I think in the end, with Trey Young, you know, particularly today, having to be, try and generate so much of the offense himself, driving in, and then being just so uncertain about his landing spot, that really detracted from their ability to play play genuine offense. So I guess from a Giannis Mil- perspective too, it's not as if like he can just be out there and he's gonna space the floor. Like Trey Young could space the floor. Not that they sort of operated that way today, but if Giannis is out there and not fit and not being able to attack the, the rim as he does, well he, he's he's he's, a, he's such a diminished player because he hasn't got that outside shot, isn't he? And and they'll just fail him too every time he goes to the ring, they're just gonna fail him before he gets his shot up. So 
you know, look, I'm, I'm sure if he's half fit, they'll play him. But, you know, he's going to be in a diminished role, I think. But, look, a fully healthy Giannis was going to cause a hell of a lot of problems, I think, for this Phoenix defense. And, you, you know, you can only imagine a second unit with um, Dario Saric rolling out there and trying to stop him. Like, good luck. So Not going to go real but, well, you wouldn't think. No, nah, so I think there's concerns for Phoenix, you know, if, if, he, if he can front up healthy. But, you know, there's obviously some significant concerns whether that's going to be the case or not. Yeah, well, let's keep our fingers crossed that Giannis can get somewhere close to to his best. And yeah, I totally agree with you. It's going to be such a difficult proposition for the for the Phoenix Suns to be able to limit him. And Giannis has been terrific right throughout these playoffs. As, as you said, he's basically a walk up thirty and fifteen and a couple of blocks and four or five assists and a couple of steals. He he, he does it all apart from being able to shoot from the perimeter. So let's keep our fingers crossed that he's healthy to go. And you know, Jay Crowder's not going to back down. I said he he has defended him in the past for Miami and Bridges has got. The the long arms, and you mentioned there that Aiton's probably going to defend him in the post at times. So they've at least got some bodies to throw at him and, and make him work. And if he's a little bit underdone and, and not 100%, well, maybe that can sort of limit him a little bit. But obviously only time will tell, you know, what game he plays in and, and how healthy he is. But let's hope that he's at least close to 100% healthy. The last matchup we'll talk about, again, another crucial one, is that centre matchup between Brook Lopez and DeAndre Ayton. And we've spoken a number of times about how good DeAndre Ayton has been throughout these playoffs. He's just, he's hardly missed. He's shooting, I haven't got it in front of me, close to 70% from the field uh, during these playoffs. He's, you know, 12 to 15 rebounds a night. His defense has, has been excellent. Um, so he, he's been a massive reason. I said last week, I thought he was the main reason that they were going to be able to progress uh, through to the finals just because he's, he's just been such a monster for them on the inside. And then Brooke Lopez, as you said, Earlier on, he's had his chance to shine uh, with Giannis out. That they played a little bit through him uh, down low, but you know if Giannis comes back in, he's going to stretch out to the three point line and try and drag him, uh, drag DeAndre Ayton away from from the paint and, and open it up and allow uh, some of Milwaukee's guards and, and obviously Giannis to, to drive and and uh, to, to try and uh, attack the rim. So how do you see this matchup shaking out, Caddy? Do, do you think DeAndre Ayton's got a, a really big advantage here, or do you think Brook Lopez, with all his years and his skill and his size, is going to be able to match it and at least sort of make it an, an even enough matchup for it not to hurt Milwaukee too much? Look, I've been really impressed with Brook Lopez's defence and his block shots, and even today, you know, he was really even active. Yeah, I think it was in the last 30 seconds that Atlanta had emptied the bench um, and brought in the reserves, and Milwaukee had left their guys out there. And even at that last possession, Brook Lopez went up and you know and and took a block shot. So I think you know he's going to be up for the challenge. I think DeAndre Ayton is a different a different beast. I'd like to see them really feed DeAndre Ayton early in this series, get his confidence up. You know, we've seen he's you know so proficient, you know, so close to the rim. He's got that nice little hook. Um, we've we, you know we've heard a lot of the scribes this week talking about you know his comparisons to David Robinson, and I think it's a pretty fair one. I think it would have been a bit out there to say it, you know, even a year or two ago, but I think that's the sort of athleticism, you know, ability to play close to the rim, that nice little fadeaway jumper, nice little sneaky little hook that he's got going on. I think that's the sort of level of play this guy can be, and that's going to create all sorts of problems defensively for Brook Lopez. Um, if they can feed him in the paint, give him a one-on-one opportunity and let DeAndre get to work. So, you know, and I think that's the that's the avenue that Phoenix should go through. I think they really should get this guy involved, make him feel really important and a part of what they're doing because, you know, at the end of the day, I think that is the key to the series is DeAndre Ayton playing, you know, terrific offense. We know he'll bring what he can defensively, but if he if he can get out there and really be, a, a you know, a, a significant part of their offense, it's going to make things quite difficult for um, Milwaukee, and you know, if he can't quite get his shot off, that's you know, he gets the double team, he can feed it out to his shooters, and that's where a guy like Jay Crowder, you know, continues to be important. So I'd be, you know, I'd be really trying to feed the big fella and and see, let him go to work on Brook Lopez and see how damaging he can be. Well, they've they've tend to feed uh, to feed sorry DeAndre Ayton early on in games. We've seen him have a lot of big first quarters, haven't we? Whether it's been. 10, 12 points in that first quarter. And then for whatever reason, they they go away from that a little bit. But I've got no doubt that they're going to attack Brook Lopez as much as they possibly can on offense. And we saw Atlanta do that. And it sort of rendered Brook Lopez ineffective when Trey Young was able to attack him because Brook Lopez plays that drop coverage. And it sort of played him off the floor. And I think it was no coincidence that Brook Lopez had his biggest game of the series when Trey Young was out injured because it just meant that he wasn't exposed as much on that defensive end. And 
And we know if Brook Lopez is going to play the drop coverage to Chris Paul in the pick and roll, well, Chris Paul is one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. So I've got no doubt Phoenix will will, will get uh, Aiton and Lopez involved in that pick and roll. They're going to bank on Lopez playing that drop coverage, and Chris Paul is just going to be shooting mid-range after mid-range. And same with Devin Booker. They're both really lethal from mid-range. So it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be incumbent upon Brook Lopez to be able to, whether they – go away from that drop coverage and make him sort of play up a bit higher. It's going to be really interesting to see how that chess match plays out because I think that could have a, a really big effect. And, and if Brook Lopez is going to be, you know, basically played off the floor because he can't stay on the court defensively, well, that's a really big win for Phoenix because I said last week that their Milwaukee were a bit thin on guys that you trust. You know, Matt, Matt, some of these guys have obviously stepped up in game five and six in Giannis's absence. But if you can play, play Brook Lopez off the floor from a Phoenix perspective, it obviously makes... Milwaukee's roster that much, that much more thinner. So it's good. Lopez is huge. He has to bring it defensively and then obviously try and give them something on the offensive end as well. So when you look at both of these rosters, Caddy, if you had to pick an X factor from, from each team, uh, who would you be looking at from that perspective? Am I going back to the well here and, and talking about my man Bryn Forbes? Can we can we get anything out of him? You, you've got finals? you've got an unhealthy love for Bryn <laughs> Forbes. He he's my most hated player in, in these playoffs. Just the way he's been firing away ridiculously. But go on, have another go at Bryn. Well, let's let's assume you know Giannis isn't available, particularly in those maybe first or second games. So we need some instant offense. You know, let's assume Middleton's playing averagely. Lopez can't quite get his shot going. Bobby Portis is, you know, doing his best. Well, we need Bryn Forbes to come out. You know, it can't be Jeff Teague and it can't be any of these other guys. We need Forbes out there shooting the lights out, giving the spark off the bench that the Milwaukee Bucks need to really take it to this, you know, quite deep Phoenix backcourt. You, you know, we're not only talking about, you know, Booker and Chris Paul. We've seen how effective uh, campaign has been. They've got each one more available. Um you know, Nader's coming off the bench as well. So, you know, there's plenty of options coming out of the Phoenix team. Brid uh, Forbes has been brought into this team as a key off-season acquisition. We've talked about it you know, a number of times throughout the year, you know, the off-season that the Milwaukee Bucks had. and Did they add enough um, to that bench mob? Oh, this is the time. This is what you're being paid to do. Come in here, average 10 to 15 points a game, give us a spark plug off the bench. Brid Forbes, this is now your time to shine. Yes, well, I'm not going to agree with that because, as, as I've said, I'm, I'm not I'm not happy with what Forbes is bringing to the table. For me, it's Bobby Portis because he, he's obviously come into this starting lineup uh, in Giannis's absence. Now we're imagine we're assuming Giannis is going to play, so he's going to go back to a bench role. I could see Milwaukee matching his minutes with Saric, and and we've seen Portis. He put up twenty odd points in in Game Five. Was decent enough again today, so he, he can be that offensive spark plug that they are going to need off that bench. And as I said earlier, he's got those crazy eyes going. He runs around like a bit of a madman. So I could see Bobby Portis have, having a really big impact and, and being that X factor for Milwaukee off the bench. What about for you from a from a Phoenix perspective? Who are you looking at uh, to be their X factor? Well, it's my man, Cam Johnson. There's no doubt about that. Let's hope he's fit and healthy there to come into this uh, final series. I think it was, yeah, an il- it was just an illness, wasn't it, that he missed game and six with, I think? Yeah, non-COVID-related illness, which is... Um, old school for probably just the cold or the flu. Um, so <laughs> it's just crazy to think that we now have to classify. Yeah, you've got to stipulate that they don't have COVID. You know, as a non-COVID illness, which is just crazy. Look, I've been ultra-impressed with this guy. Uh, he's coming to the league. Basically, that Phoenix pick that they took him was, you know, basically colloquially shit-canned across the league at the time. as a, It was a mature-age player that had come in as a first-round draft pick, the 11th overall in the draft. Basically, it was traded by the Minnesota Timberwolves. They basically got Dario Saric and Cam Johnson for the rights of Jarrett Culver. So I think in the end, uh, that's worked out pretty well for for the Phoenix Suns. And this guy has been an absolute knockdown corner three shooter all the way through the through the playoffs. And I think he can continue that, providing his health is um, okay. I'd like to see him continue to get an opportunity, put the ball in his hand. He's shown us that he's capable of doing it at the big stage. I just love his stroke, love the way he goes about. And I think his defense is is better than better than advertised as well, and he can certainly hold up at that end. Yeah, I like that. I mentioned last week, he just seems to hit threes when, when they need him, and he's, yeah, as you said, he's got, got such a beautiful stroke. So he, he, I'm assuming he's going to be healthy after that that sort of week off. So, yeah, I agree. He, he certainly will be an X factor for them. I'm going to go for Jay Crowder. I mentioned that defense he's more than likely going to have to play on Yardis, but Crowder's one of those guys that has – at least one, sometimes two games in the series where he's just 
hot from three. He hits six of seven from three, um, just r- ridiculous contested ones. So if he can have one or two of those games, that, that's generally enough for his team to get across the line in those games. So I think he's he's that that real X factor guy that can that can get hot. Obviously, as I said, he's going to be called upon to play some really good defense on Giannis. But if he can have one or two of those games where he gets hot from three, that could be enough to swing those particular games and obviously the series Phoenix way. So yeah, there's obviously going to be plenty of work the stars need to do as well. But as you as you see in a lot of these uh, these final series, it's these sort of X factor players off the bench. You know, you you think back to the Miami Heat days when. Mike Miller or Shane Battier or some of these guys have had big games sort of out of the blue. You know, Danny Green's had big games as well for San Antonio in the past. So it's it's some of these X-Factor guys that, that can swing games in series. So, yeah, it, it's going to be the, those guys that can step up that, that might be able to get the series, uh, their, their team across the line in this series. Uh, so now let's let's make a prediction, Caddy. Which way are you leaning it and, and, and what prediction are you going to make as far as, as the score goes? Well, let's, let's just... You know, be upfront and honest about our predictions early in the season. I was going Philadelphia, Utah. I obviously bombed out on both of those. And then we're now at Phoenix, Milwaukee. I think it's Phoenix. I think it's a 4-1 win. I think they've just been four consistent. One. Yeah, I'm going to go the home court advantage, win the first two at home, win one of the two away in games three or four, and then come out closing Phoenix. In five, I'm worried about the Giannis injury. Where's the guarantees coming back? Phoenix are pretty much at full strength, and I think they're going to, you know, be a deserved finals winner. Yeah, it's really difficult, obviously, to predict a winner and obviously a score given the Giannis situation. We, we're not sure what's going to happen there. I'll, I'll I'll be a little bit more conservative than you. I'm going to go four two Phoenix, but because as you said that you know that they they don't really have any injuries. They've got their full complement of players available. Obviously, Giannis, Milwaukee's best player players not available. Even Chenzo obviously hasn't played through, throughout these playoffs. Not that he's a, a hugely important player, but it's just another number that Milwaukee don't have available. And just because of that fact, I'm going to go for for Phoenix in six. Um, in where I can't even I, I certainly didn't pick either of these teams early on in the season to progress through to the finals. And and certainly I don't think anyone would have picked Phoenix. There would have been maybe a few people that picked Milwaukee, but I think most people were certainly leaning towards Brooklyn in the East. And if not Brooklyn, uh, probably down the line that you do, you went with Philly. So a bit of an Unusual final series, obviously, but been a lot of injuries. But I'm still really excited uh, for this series. What's your excitement level, Caddy? Give me an excitement number out of ten for, for this final series. Well, if we're rolling out the excitometer, which is you know the obvious the obvious gauge that you'd be pulling out. Of course, you're going to pull out like... the excitometer. What what else would we be gauging? <laughs> and and that's you know that we we judge that in, you know best the most excitometer being a hundred. I'd have this at about the seventy three mark. Okay, I think you what know a reasonable I'm... level of excitement then. Well, it's a, certainly a significant amount, and I'll be even more stimulated once I get the, uh, you know, Giannis, not even game time decision in for game one. That'll really, you know, is that going to lift it up to the mid the mid eighties on your excited meter? Maybe. Well, I think you might even be pushing the nineties at that point because that's full strength, Milwaukee Phoenix. And you know, at the end of the day, this Phoenix were the second seed in the East. Milwaukee were the third. These are two really, you know, worthy teams that have come together and, you know, both teams that had question marks going, you know, obviously around the, their, their franchises for many, many years, you know, I, I'm up and about if that if we can get a fully fit Giannis. If he's not there, well, I'll, I'll tune in. I'm pretty pretty happy to see Chris Paul go about his work and see whether he can withstand the pressure of this type of, um, you know, this type of stage, which I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident that he will. But if, let's get Giannis out there, make this a really significant series and the excitometer is going to be peaking. I like it. I like it. What about your MVP prediction, Caddy? Which way are you leaning for an MVP? Well, I'll go with Devin Booker. I think, you know, Chris Paul is going to be the, you know, the guy that's pretty much laying the table for him. But I think over the course of the five games, if we're talking a guy that's going to put the ball in the hoop, he'll be the one that might be capable of averaging the 30 to 35 points a game here. And, um, you know, which is probably a bold call considering what we saw Chris Paul do in, the, in his previous outing, the 41-point closeout game. But I just think Booker, a bit fresher, uh, be able to come in and, and really dictate terms. Yeah, I'm going to lean uh, Chris Paul. It'd, it'd just be a fairy tale ending to the season for him, wouldn't it? You know, he's, he's he's gone to Phoenix. He's lifted him up into the number two seat. Obviously, with 
certainly a lot of help from Devin Booker, but he's going to get that sentimental vote as well, isn't he? If he's even if it's a, if it's a line ball decision between Booker and Chris Paul, there's there's, there's no doubt the vote's going to sway Chris Paul's way. So I, I hope he has a great series and Phoenix come away with a win and he gets the MVP. And as I said, it'd be a fitting way for him to to end this season. So we'll call, call it there, Caddy. Um, yeah, very, very interesting week coming up with, as I said, Game 1 on Wednesday, Game 2 Friday, and I'm pretty sure Game 3 is on Sunday. So the next time we, we talk, there will be three games that would have been done, and we'll see what your excitometer says by then, Caddy. It could be reaching up and maybe even towards 100. If, you know, fingers crossed. It's, it's been a very intriguing series. Uh, the well, next I'll, time I'll we do tell you. I'll tell you what I will be excited about by then. We'll probably know all teams which will be qualified for the Olympic Games, and I think we'll do a bit of a a deeper dive into those rosters probably next week when we've got that opportunity if there is only three games through the finals. Yeah, we certainly will. The, the Boomers roster was obviously announced uh, today, I think so. But, uh, yeah, we, we've gone a bit long, so we will break down a bit more of this Olympic play next week. So, yeah, as I said, we'll call it there. As I say every week, thanks to everybody who continues to download the podcast. Please jump on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star lot, uh, rating. Um, also, jump on the Facebook page. Like the Facebook page. And as I mentioned last week, please share it with any of your friends who might be interested in basketball. And until next week, we'll talk to you then. Yeah.